everybody. It is Corey Poirier and excited to be back with the Let's Do Influencing show. Really excited to have a first time guest but somebody I've gotten to know quite well in, uh, in the recent months. And so Dove, Baron, really excited to have you here today. And I think where I'd like to start is maybe to get you to tell us just a little bit about your backstory and journey just for our listeners to get to know you a little better. Well, thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. And uh, certainly grateful to be here to serve you and your audience. Backstory. Well, you know, we, we only have half an hour and my backstory will take at least two, two and a half hours. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you know, I've been speaking for 34 years, uh, but I, where it all started, I was born in, uh, in, you're probably wondering about this muddled accent, but I was born in the UK, uh, left there when I was 21, traveled a lot, uh, went to different countries to study with different teachers around the world, ended up living in Australia, in between was in uh, New Brunswick, so right neighbor to you there, Corey. I uh, lived there for a year, was in France and Italy and Asia and Indonesia uh, to study with all these different teachers and then moved to Canada in 1988. And then uh, during the time of living here, um, in June of 1990, fell 120 feet, got smashed to pieces while free climbing uh, by Whistler, which some people will be familiar with from the Winter Olympics. Um, had a long and very painful recovery and uh, I've come back. I was already speaking uh, uh, around the world at that point, but then came back and uh, I've gone on to do uh, some pretty cool things that have been uh, a, great, a great joy to me and uh, ways for me to serve. Uh, of course, working with uh, individuals, corporations, and speaking on some great platforms like speaking at the UN and the World Business Conference in Iran. So that's the very quick, sketchy version of it. Either, either way, powerful journey. And so I guess then, you know, right away, my first jump in from there is, I guess, personally, what mm -hmm. sort of drew you to this, you know, whole world of helping people, leadership, speaking? You know, what sort of drew you in that direction? Well, as you know, as I said, I, um, I traveled and studied. So as a little boy, I was fascinated with uh, philosophy, religious philosophy, and uh, that was why I traveled. I traveled to study with these great teachers around these different philosophical understandings. And during that journey became very fascinated with how people uh, very often were very spiritual, but very ungrounded not of course that's not true for everybody but many of the people i was meeting were ungrounded and, and couldn't hold a job or couldn't hold a relationship or couldn't pay the rent and so i began to study psychology and wanted to know why people could be so spiritual and why yet people could be so ungrounded and I, that was triggered from my childhood because i would look at my family members and see them repeating mistakes that they knew were mistakes but they would repeat the pattern so i was fascinated by that studied to study psychology in something called what was at that time known as the psychology of excellence. Today it's known as leadership. Um, I started studying that and then in 84 was invited to go speak to a friend of mine's um, organization to his managers. And I was like, why would I do that? I'm not a speaker. And that was my first introduction. I got to speak for them uh, 
and sort of uh, it rocked my world and theirs. Uh, <laughs> it was not what we expected, any of us, but it was, uh, was, was, was quite uh, intriguing and certainly pulled me in. So now you mentioned one key thing there that I sort of jump right in on because I, I sort of get excited by trying to understand people, why they do what they do, the common traits, what have you. So you mentioned you wanted to understand, you know, why this was happening. So yeah. have, have you discovered some commonalities, some things that people could sort of learn from based on you studying why this happens for people? Yeah. So and I, I want to help everybody understand this. So if you have a pen or a paper or something or some way to take a note, this is important for you to know, because the reason I say that is if you're listening to this once, I doubt that you'll get it, not because you're trying not to, but I'm going to explain to you why we repeat the patterns and it will actually explain to you why it's, you're not likely to get this unless you actually take some time to study it. And that is this human beings are driven by certain primary elements. One of them is to fit in, to belong. Human beings are tribal. We are supposed to be in tribes. We need our community. What we're also driven to have is safety. And so we, we look to our tribe to keep us safe. So your tribe, of course, the original tribe you're born into is your family. And if you um, have gone out in the world and explored world beyond your family, you've no light, no doubt, discovered that people outside of your family don't always think the way they do inside of your family. And sometimes that can be a point of, uh, well, let's just call it a point of friction. <laughs> and that can be a bit of a challenge. And the problem is that that point of friction is not only external, as in with your family members and yourself, but it can be internal with, within yourself. So there's a set of, a part of your mind that is focused so much on the safety and the belonging to your original tribe that you and I automatically will dismiss things that contradict what it is we originally believed because what we've believed has kept us safe. How do I know? You're alive. So it's kept you safe. You might be unhappy. You might be miserable. You might be dissatisfied, but it's kept you alive. And so going to another thought process even when you can see the one you're using doesn't work, seems so massively challenging internally, there's this contradiction within us, right? I know what I'm doing doesn't work. There's a new way of doing things and I really want to do it. But if I do, I feel like I'll betray that original belief system and therefore my original tribe. So there becomes this inner conflict. And here's the thing, unless you are committed, dedicated, and focused on your own growth and development, we all default to the original, to what it was we originally learned. Hence, we repeat patterns that don't work. So is that, I mean, is it fair to compare that to when we hear people say they learned in their childhood from their tribe, perhaps that money doesn't grow on trees and there's you know, not enough to go around and that type of thing? Is that part of that as well? That's a simple example of it, but absolutely so. So, so I'll give you an example. Um, years ago, uh, a guy walked into my office. He was recommended to come see me. And we sat down together. Uh, he had paid for an hour in advance. And, um, and about 40 minutes in, I said, uh, we're done. And he said, well, I've paid for an hour and we haven't had an hour. And I said, I understand. Um, but the purpose of this first hour is to discover whether we can work together. And I can see that this is not going to be a fit. 
And he said, well, why do you say that? And I said, well, based on everything you've told me, I can see that I'm not really going to be able to serve you. And, and he was very insistent on wanting the hour. I said, well, we can certainly continue for the hour if you want, but I can tell you now, I don't see any way for this to change. And he said, okay, well, why is that? And I said, can I be direct? And he said, sure. I said, okay, here's the thing. Uh, you can't afford me. And he said, at that point, he got kind of irate, and he was telling me about how much money he had. Now, I did know this because I, he was recommended to me by somebody else, and the guy was not quite a billionaire, but pretty damn close. And he said, how can you possibly say that I can't afford you? And I said, because you know the price of everything and the value of nothing. Hmm. And he was very shocked by that. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, can I be pretend that I'm a psychic for a moment. And he said, sure. I said, you live in West Vancouver. I did know that, by the way. Uh, I said, you live in West Vancouver, which you may know, Corey, is the most expensive property in Canada. Mm -hmm. So you live in West, Van West Vancouver. You either drive the very top of uh, Mercedes or something very similar, the very top of the line. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier and excited to be back with the Let's Do Influencing show. Really excited to have a first-time guest, but somebody I've gotten to know quite well in, uh, in the recent months. And so, Dove, Baron, really excited to have you here today. And I think where I'd like to start is maybe to get you to tell us just a little bit about your backstory and journey, just for our listeners to get to know you a little better. Well, thank you, Corey. Appreciate it. And uh, certainly grateful to be here to serve you and your audience. Backstory. Well, you know, we, we only have half an hour and my backstory will take at least two, two and a half hours. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you know, I've been speaking for 34 years, uh, but I, where it all started, I was born in, uh, in, you're probably wondering about this muddled accent, but I was born in the UK, uh, left there when I was 21, traveled a lot, uh, went to different countries to study with different teachers around the world, ended up living in Australia. In between was in uh, New Brunswick, so right neighbor to you there, Corey. I uh, lived there for a year, was in France and Italy and Asia and Indonesia uh, to study with all these different teachers and then moved to Canada in 1988. And then uh, during the time of living here, um, in June of 1990, fell 120 feet, got smashed to pieces while free climbing uh, by Whistler, which some people will be familiar with from the Winter Olympics. Um, had a long and very painful recovery and uh, I've come back. I was already speaking uh, uh, around the world at that point, but then came back and uh, I've gone on to do uh, some pretty cool things that have been a great, a great joy to me and uh, ways for me to serve. Uh, of course, working with uh, individuals, corporations, and speaking on some great platforms like speaking at the UN and the World Business Conference in Iran. So that's the very quick, sketchy version of it. Either, either way, powerful journey. And so I guess then, you know, right away, my first jump in from there is, I guess, personally, what sort of drew you to this, you know, whole world of helping people, leadership, speaking? You know, what sort of drew you in that direction? 
Well, as you know, as I said, I, um, I traveled and studied. So as a little boy, I was fascinated with uh, philosophy, religious philosophy, and uh, that was why I traveled. I traveled to study with these great teachers around these different philosophical understandings. And during that journey became very fascinated with how people uh, very often were very spiritual, but very ungrounded. Not, of course, that's not true for everybody, but many of the people I was meeting were ungrounded and, and couldn't hold a job or couldn't hold a relationship or couldn't pay the rent. And so I began to study psychology and wanted to know why people could be so spiritual and why yet people could be so ungrounded. And I, that was triggered from my childhood because I would look at my family members and see them repeating mistakes that they knew were mistakes, but they would repeat the patterns. So I was fascinated by that, studied to study psychology in something called what was at that time known as the psychology of excellence. Today, it's known as leadership. Um, I started studying that, and then in 84, was invited to go speak to a friend of mine's um, organization, to his managers. And I was like, why would I do that? I'm not a speaker. And that was my first introduction. I got to speak for them, uh, and sort of uh, it rocked my world and theirs. Uh, <laughs> it was not what we expected, any of us. But it was uh, was 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 quite uh, intriguing and certainly pulled me in. So now you mentioned one key thing there that I sort of jump right in on because I, I sort of get excited by trying to understand people, why they do what they do, the common traits, what have you. So you mentioned you wanted to understand, you know, why this was happening. So yep. have, have you discovered some commonalities, some things that people could sort of learn from based on you studying why this happens for people? Yeah, so and I, I want to help everybody understand this. So if you have a pen or a paper or something or some way to take a note, this is important for you to know because the reason I say that is if you're listening to this once, I doubt that you'll get it, not because you're trying not to, but I'm going to explain to you why we repeat the patterns. And it will actually explain to you why it's, you're not likely to get this unless you actually take some time to study it. And that is this. Human beings are driven by certain primary elements. One of them is to fit in, to belong. Human beings are tribal. We are supposed to be in tribes. We need our community. What we're also driven to have is safety. And so we, we look to our tribe to keep us safe. So your tribe, of course, the original tribe you're born into is your family. And if you um, have gone out in the world and explored world beyond your family, you've no, light, no doubt discovered that people outside of your family don't always think the way they do inside of your family. And sometimes that can be a point of... Uh, well, let's just call it a point of friction. <laughs> and that can be a bit of a challenge. And the problem is that that point of friction is not only external, as in with your family members and yourself, but it can be internal with, within yourself. So there's a set of a part of your mind that is focused so much on the safety and the belonging to your original tribe that you and I automatically will dismiss things that contradict what it is we originally believed because what we've believed has kept us safe. How do I know? You're alive. So it's kept you safe. You might be unhappy, you might be miserable, you might be dissatisfied, but it's kept you alive. And so going to another thought process, even when you can see the one you're using doesn't work, 
seems so massively challenging internally there's this contradiction within us right i know what i'm doing doesn't work there's a new way of doing things and i really want to do it but if i do i feel like i'll betray that original belief system and therefore my original tribe so there becomes this inner conflict and here's the thing unless you are committed dedicated and focused on your own growth and development we all default to the original to what it was we originally learned Hence, we repeat patterns that don't work. So is that, I mean, is it fair to compare that to when we hear people say they learned in their childhood from their tribe, perhaps that money doesn't grow on trees and there's you know, not enough to go around and that type of thing? Is that part of that as well? That's a simple example of it, but absolutely so. So, so I'll give you an example. Um, years ago, uh, a guy walked into my office. He was recommended to come see me. And we sat down together. Uh, he had paid for an hour in advance. And, um, and about 40 minutes in, I said, uh, we're done. And he said, well, I've paid for an hour and we haven't had an hour. And I said, I understand. Um, but the purpose of this first hour is to discover whether we can work together. And I can see that this is not going to be a fit. And he said, well, why do you say that? And I said, well, based on everything you've told me, I can see that I'm not really going to be able to serve you. And, and he was very insistent on wanting the hour. I said, well, we can certainly continue for the hour if you want, but I can tell you now, I don't see any way for this to change. And he said, okay, well, why is that? And I said, can I be direct? And he said, sure. I said, okay, here's the thing. Uh, you can't afford me. And he said, he, at that point he got kind of irate and he, was telling me about how much money he had. Now I did know this because I, he was recommended to me by somebody else. And the guy was not quite a billionaire, but pretty damn close. And he said, how can you possibly say that I can't afford you? And I said, because you know, the price of everything and the value of nothing. Hmm. And he was very shocked by that. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, can I be pretend that I'm a psychic for a moment? And he said, sure. I said, you live in West Vancouver. I did know that, by the way. Uh, I said, you live in West Vancouver, which you may know, Corey, is the most expensive property in Canada. Mm -hmm. So you live in West, Van West Vancouver. You either drive the very top of uh, Mercedes or something very similar, the very top of the line in, in any of those things. The house you live in, um, uh, the it's on a hill and the entrance into it is you actually have to walk down into it. And he's like, okay. I said, there's probably a big double door to entry in through, not a single door. And when you go in the front, the first major room looks like a showroom. And this guy's mouth is now falling open. And I said, however, if I was to continue through the house at a lower level is where your family lives. And I said, when, you're, when I say your family, I mean you're not your necessarily wife or children, although they may be there too, but probably your parents or your wife's parents live there. I said, most of the furniture in there is secondhand. And this guy's like, how did you know that? And I said, because you were born in extreme poverty and you're still there. You've made a lot of money, but you're still extremely poor and you're not interested in being anything but that you're the poorest wealthy man I've ever met. And the reason I say we can't work together is because everything you look at 
is through the lens of money and of being poor. And, you, and everything I put forward to you about looking at how to shift that, you fight on and you want to stay committed to keeping the old system. So as I said, you know the price of everything and the value of nothing, and I can't serve you. Wow. So <laughs> I, I'm, I shouldn't make an assumption, so I'll ask. I'm thinking that he didn't uh, come back around and, and start changing that. You know, he didn't say, you know what, I want to change, or did he? Well, you know, that, that's a really interesting question, Corey, uh, because I've been asked that question so many times, and I would love to give the, the opposite answer. And the opposite answer is, oh, my God, that's, I've got it. Wow, that's great. Let's start working together. That is not what happened. He actually went away. Now, I will tell you, though, that something similar, not identical, but similar has happened with other people, um, not necessarily around money, but around their leadership or how they lead or whatever it is. And they've suddenly seen, oh my God, I'll give you another simple example. Uh, a CEO we were working with who was having all kinds of challenges with his team. And we started doing the work around this. And we have this, this event this private event, which we work with executives of, a, of a, a small executive team. And we work with them either individually as a small, or as a small team. And we find out what is the purpose that everybody's looking for their purpose in life. What is your purpose and how do you apply that to your company to grow your company? And in the work that we were doing with him, we look at what is the root cause, what drives things, where does it come from? In order to find your purpose in life, you gotta find out what, what things are driven from. And he was talking about how much struggling he was having with leading a team and how that he was not getting by him. And I said, well, why would they follow you? And he said, well, why wouldn't they? I'm the boss, I own the company, I pay the, pay the checks. And I said, yeah, but you think that people have to work for you, they don't. And he, and he said, well, where are they gonna go? I go, well, they can go anywhere. And he, he didn't, he didn't uh, register that people have so many mother, more options. And the reason it didn't register, as I pointed out to him, was because he was still operating like he was a member of the original tribe, which was his father's tribe. And in his father's tribe, his father, part of his father's rhetoric was, my house, my rules. And he got, oh my God, I've said the same thing. My business, my rules. And he realized how frustrated he was as a boy and even as a teenager living in that house without rules. He just said he didn't mind the rules. He just didn't, he hated that they were never explained. He didn't understand the logic behind them. And it frustrated him and caused a major rift between him and his father and he had to leave. And I said, that's what's happening with your staff. And that for him was transformational and made him realize, oh, I'm operating like I'm the head of a tribe, but it's not the tribe of my company. It's the tribe of the family I grew up in. Boom, transformation starts. So we talked about this last time, actually when I visited your show about passion and purpose. Yes. And yes. has this big pushback against the word passion, or at least I've seen that. So can you tell us, maybe dive a little further into that in terms of, you mentioned purpose. So yeah. what does that look like to you? Like you, you, I'm sure you've heard people say, you know, I'm sick of hearing about passion and people trying to find it. So I know we had a great conversation with this. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, as we spoke about on my show, um, the confusion is that people are looking for purpose and they look in the wrong place and they look in their passion. And what I just want to have everybody understand is passion is a vehicle. Purpose is not a vehicle. 
purpose is what is transported in the vehicle. It's the fuel and it's what's transported in the vehicle, but it's not the vehicle. And so as you and I talked about, Corey, you know, the things you're, fa you're passionate about when you're 15 or when you're 20 are not likely to be the same things you're passionate about when you're 40. Uh, the analogy I, you've heard me give is that uh, most straight males are very passionate about a certain thing when they're in their late teens, uh, maybe even their early teens. Um, and if that was remained our passion, then we'd all be uh, gynecologists. No, we're not. So clearly, it's, your passion is not necessarily your career, and it's certainly not your purpose. Your passion is the vehicle of the moment that transports the purpose of who you are. So know the difference between those two things. Your purpose has always been there. As you know, Corey, I recently wrote a book called One Red Thread, and that is your purpose. It's, it's this one red thread that weaves the tapestry of your life together. It's always been there. It will always be there. But if you go looking for it in your passion, you might get a glimpse of it, but probably not much. And so here's the, um, the shocker for most people. And that is the place to go looking for your purpose is the place you don't want to look. And that is in your pain. See, in your pain, when things have gone wrong, you've been brought back to certain fundamentals. You've been brought back to certain questions. And you ask yourself questions like when, when, the, poop, when the, the feces hits the fan, we tend to stop and say, what is this all about? Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? We're actually more drawn to that question than we are when things are going right and they're joyous. So your purpose is found in the struggle. It's found in the pain. It's found in the things that are not particularly easy. Your passion is transitory. Your purpose is permanent. And so when you mentioned that, and, and I want to sort of move on to a different area, but at the same time, before I jump away, Dove, I want to ask you about that when you mentioned that's where people run into trouble. Do you find a lot of people, and I know you're maybe alluding to it, but do you find a lot of people search in their passion to try to find their purpose? Like in other words, that's what they think it is? Oh, without doubt, as I said, they're looking in the wrong place. So, you know, we've all heard about passion, you know, the passion test and follow your passion and all the rest of it. And it's lovely advice, but what if your passion is ballet and you're 500 pounds? What if your passion is basketball and you're five foot two? I mean, you know, these are passions, they're not purposes. So we, we, we look to that because the thing is, we're looking to our joy. And, and listen, I'm all in favor of you having as much joy as you possibly can in your life. But your passion is there to evolve you. It's there to grow you, to develop you, and to assist others. So your purpose is there to serve you. Uh, your purpose is there for you to serve the world. Your passion is there to serve you. That's how you know the difference. My purpose is to serve. My passion fills me. It serves me. But when I go out to serve, I get filled. So it's completely reverse. It's not about me. It's about what can I bring to the world. That is my purpose. So that's probably a segue to what I'm going to call a really big question, but legacy. Yeah. When we talk about something like legacy, mm -hmm. You feel that based on what you've seen working with a, top, a lot of top leaders at the end of the day, that's where they're trying to get to, to create a legacy that people remember. And, and how big is this legacy piece? That's a great question uh, because it's multi-layered. And what I mean by that is 
that when most people say legacy, they think about um, a family business being passed down from one generation to the next as an example. Um, but what's actually happening is, um, is understanding that the person, the person who founded the business as the leader was driven by one thing initially, and that is to up-level the quality of life of the people inside of the family. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Um, but it's not a legacy. It's just upgrading the lifestyle. And so what happens is that as we move forward in our lives, we begin to realize that, oh, there's more important things than that or other things that are at least equally important to that, like my values and what matters and, quote, unquote, the purpose of why we are, we are doing this. So it's, this is vitally important for us to look at legacy. Legacy has a um, physical, financial, uh, instrumental piece to it, meaning the physicality of a business, the, the passing on it from one generation to the next. But there's also the deeper level, which is the meaning, the purpose, the beliefs, and the values of that. Unfortunately, many people who go into leadership don't consider legacy. And so what they end up with is a legacy of drive. So, you know, my dad had a great work ethic is something you'll hear somebody say, and I now have that work ethic. So they've got a legacy of that work ethic. Now that work ethic might be a great work ethic, but it also might be workaholism. That may be your legacy. Your legacy might be that money matters more than people. That can be your legacy. So legacy is not necessarily positive. It's the ripples you leave behind and the willingness to, take a, to stop and take a conscious look at that and actually say, what is our real legacy? And how you answer that question around the word real is this. If we removed all the money, now what? What is our legacy? If our company disappeared, would the world be missing something other than our product? That's how you know whether you're actually creating a legacy. So by being, first of all, a purpose-driven leader as an individual, creating a purpose-driven organization with a purpose-driven culture becomes committed to developing a legacy that will have impact for generations to come. Because here's the thing. When you are on purpose, you're actually working in your life to impact the names of people who will never, whose name you will never know and who's, who will never know your name. In other words, a legacy that is multi-generational beyond even the memory of you. So powerful. I heard a, an interview answer by somebody I guess probably a year ago, I think it was through Success Magazine. And the answer, when somebody said, what's legacy to you? He said, I want to, I want to live longer than my body in a positive way. Yeah, and, and that's a simple way of putting it. It's a very good way of putting it. So how about, as we wind down, how about success? I'm sure you get asked a lot, you know, what's success to you? How do you define success? Mm -hmm. And I know that's a question, you know, that people ask often. But I'm just curious, since you've had so much work uh, working with people that uh, define success in different ways, what have you seen or, or even, do you even factor success in or how do you look at success compared to those other big things we've been talking about? I, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the bottom line is that we, you know, we live in a material world and we need success and we need wealth and we need uh, 
world, certainly enough to sustain us. But I'll give you my direct quote around this, and that is, success is discovering who the market needs you to be and what they need you to do, and then delivering it. While fulfillment, which is more important to me, fulfillment is discovering who you are, what you came here to deliver, and delivering it to those who recognize and value it. Wow, such an amazing distinction. And I guess, you know, my, the last official question, we'll call it, uh, because I like to ask everybody this question. I love the different answers we get from this. Uh, so if you could sit across from a younger version of yourself, maybe go in a time machine, I'll let you decide how you got there. You can pick the eight, <laughs> but you'd probably know when he needed it the most. What advice do you think, if you give him, could give him one or two pieces of advice, Dov, what do you think you might tell that younger version of yourself based on what you've learned in the years since? Um, you know, it's, it's a great question, and it's certainly one that I like to put to people too, uh, because I think that uh, answering that question is extraordinarily difficult because there are, there are levels to it. And what I mean by that is this. First of all, um, I wouldn't be who I am if I changed anything. Hmm. So do I want to change it? That's a good question. Then on top of that, um, which versions of me, meaning, you know, there is advice that I needed um, when I was 19 that would be, you know, that with the evolution of my life, I didn't, I don't get to have that advice. So getting it there, does it speed it up? Yes. But does it help other areas of my life? Probably not. So the simplicity of it is this, is what I would say to my younger self, is what really matters to you. What is it that matters to you more than anything? When it seems like what matters is this relationship with this person who just dumped your ass, or what seems to matter most to you is this job or this career or this um, pursuit of success, and you've hit the hurdle, when you've hit the wall or fallen off the mountain, in my case, what matters most to you? When you discover what matters most to you, hold on to that. That is the raft that will carry you through the wreckage. What is it that matters most to you? And whatever you think it is, question it three to four levels deeper. So if what my younger self says matters to them is um business let's just use that as a simple example then i would say why and then whatever my younger self would answer i would say why and whatever my younger self would answer i would say why and whatever my younger self would answer i would say why once again at least four levels of depth of that because we can all answer with the right answer but when you get to three four five levels deeper you're now in touch with something that I like to call your soul, but it's your unconscious mind. You start to reveal to yourself what you've hidden from yourself. Most of us are in response to the world rather than response to our hearts and our souls and what we really need that's at a purpose level. So Doug, this has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be because we've already had some time together. And so I knew this was going to be fantastic. Um, very last question, and I'll call it the unofficial one, but maybe the most important for people that have been listening, want to hear your show, want to learn more about your work, where would you normally direct them? Thank you. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. Um, if you can simply go to full Monty leadership, 
So full Monty, like the movie, fullmontyleadership.com. And because you're on this show, if you go fullmontyleadership.com forward slash gifts, if you go there, I have a gift for you for, for uh, tuning in. And w- one of the other things that you can find me, of course, you can find my podcast on Full Monty Leadership. You can find my blog on there. Uh, there's over 500 articles. There's over five, almost 500 uh, episodes of my podcast. I'm on YouTube. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all the usual places. And you can just Google D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N. And like I said, the best place for you to go, fullmontyleadership.com forward slash gifts, and you'll get your gift there. And also, you know, one other thing you can do is very simple thing. You can write to me. I'll give you my personal email, dov at d-o-v-b-a-r-o-n. And I want you to write to me and I'll tell you why. One, if I can help you, that's fantastic. I can set up, well, my assistant can set up a 20-minute discovery call and see if there's a way for me to serve you. But I also want you to write to me because I want, you to, I want to hear from you what you got out of this. And I want you to CC Corey on this. This guy puts together great guests for you, for you to be, on, for, to be on his show, to share with you their wisdom and knowledge. Then recognize, acknowledge, and validate the guy for the work that he's doing to bring you great guests to add so much value to your life at no charge to you. So write to Corey, write to me, tell us what you got out of this show and what you're going to do with it. And you can write and ask me for a discovery call and I'm happy to serve you. Awesome stuff. Well, like I say, Dove, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, Looking forward to sometime down the road, the the next adventure together. And also I'm going to go grab my gift right now as well. (laughs) I'm going to send you the gift and then I can tell people on the next episode about the gift. So I thank you so much. Uh, It's been in my honor and pleasure and uh, I look forward to connecting in the future. Thank you, Corey. All the very best to you and your family and all of your wonderful followers. Awesome. Thanks so much, Doug. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.